0: Hi, I'm Gio.
1: And I'm Renee. And this is Listen to Me podcast, where you get all the greatest and unqualified advice from qualified creatives.
0: Basically, we go through it so you can turn your moist sensual dreams into top-selling paranormal romance.
1: That's moist <laughs> with a hard T.
0: <laughs> moist.
1: I hated it, man. We're gonna have to put a trigger warning. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, this I ha- normally hate that word, <laughs> like, and it, but it's always I usually it really bugs me when I'm caught off guard, like if someone says it to bother me because they know it bothers me. It doesn't bug me, oh, but like yeah, if you're I'm like ready. Yeah, but if I'm like talking to somebody about what they, like something they made for dinner and they're like, oh, it was so moist. I'm like,
1: uh, uh." (laughs) but you want your chicken to be moist. (laughs) So today we are joined by Casey Fox. We're really Mm -hmm. excited to have her on. She is an indie pub author, so like an independently published author who has so far written the paranormal adult romance read erotica book blood lust and liberty you can pre-order her books in her next series called stranded with the star god which is a five book sci-fi adult romance series I'm so excited. We're going to talk about smut, Gio.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. We we don't really do that. We haven't done that yet.
1: No, we're going to out ourselves. Uh, We don't kink shame in the Listen to Me house. Hello. Hey, it's nice
2: to meet you.
0: (laughs) I know. It's nice to meet you too.
1: Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us on our weird little podcast.
0: Dog and Pony Show.
1: <laughs> With I'm no dog pony. and no pony. Oh, no, I'm, you're I'm, now... <laughs> the pony. But...
0: <laughs> I'm the pony. <laughs>
1: That's true. Uh, in our Jessica <laughs> Renwick episode, we discovered that Gio loved his Barbie ponies when he was Yes, a I did. Yeah. they are a brony?
0: no (laughs) no 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 no. I I don't I'm not into it now (laughs) as a a young lass (laughs) oh yes of course
1: (laughs) Casey you're here today to tell us a little bit about your experience with independent publishing Mm -hmm. uh, being like a first-time indie pub author and also writing what are we calling this? Are we calling it adult romance, I have to say, is my favorite like weak tea euphemism for it's erotica.
2: very weak tea. Okay, hey, no, and we have to be careful too because what I write is actually not erotica. So um, oh, there is a delineation, okay? So between this like adult romance and what well, we call it steamy. Steamy is what we call this. Steamy okay. Um Erotica actually has its whole own thing, and it has to do with the storylines being driven by the sex. Generally, they're shorter, and there are different kind of genre norms for erotica than there are for steamy romance. You have to follow different beats and in the way that it's written. So when I launched my very first book, Amazon took some liberties with me and called me erotica, even though I am not. So for a very brief moment in time... I was a number one best selling erotica author.
0: <laughs> Congratulations.
1: Thank you. It was a big moment for me. Man, Casey, you could make some pioneering inroads into um, not erotica, which is like a new genre that's maybe a mashup of steamy romance and erotica. Mm-hmm. I want to clarify for our listeners because not everybody who listens to this podcast is a writer, beats are like plot points are like they have to do with like the way a story is structured is kind of like the way simplistic version of that
2: you know what to be honest I've been writing for a couple of years now and I still
1: don't really understand what a beat is maybe that's a good place to start is like your foray into writing you want to know my origin story oh my god yes your super villain or superhero origin story whichever applies <laughs>
2: It remains to be seen whether I'm a hero or a villain. I guess, but um,
1: you either live long enough.
2: <laughs> okay, so I've been writing since around 2018. Casey Fox is my pen name. I will admit that, and because <laughs> what I write is, I write a lot of YA and um, fantasy novels. So my steamy romance is under a different name than that for obvious reasons. And so I got into a sort of online writers' club, and one of the women who writes there said, "Listen." I make decent cash writing these steamy romance novels. You write really fast and I think it's something you could do. And I thought to myself, geez, I don't know, and then I looked into it a little more and I figured I would give it a go, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the process. It was a lot of fun. Um, I found it very freeing to not be writing within the confines of traditional publishing and the certain expectations that go along with that. This is all my own thing and I am the gatekeeper, essentially
1: at first when you were describing it, it kind of sounded like a steamy romance MLM, like multi-level marketing. You're like, okay, so you're my um, like steamy <laughs> downstream and as many sales as you get, I also get, but this is no. like you just doing your own thing. This is my own thing. So
2: essentially how it works is you enroll yourself in Amazon KDP Kindle Direct Publishing. There are other ways to do it too, but this is how I go about it. It's super user friendly. Okay, that's a lie. Actually, it's (laughs) super, it's super easy to learn. It's not super easy or super user friendly right off the top, but it is fairly easy to get into. I am in control of everything. So I decide who my cover artist is, whether I hire somebody to make that cover for me. I do edits on my own and then I also have a group of people, women, who read for me and catch any of my kind of grammar, plot holes, things like that. Indie Publishing moves at a really fast pace. If you want to make money at it, you have to really crank out the content. These are very, very thirsty readers. Okay. We call them <laughs> <laughs> We call them whale readers because they read like whale amounts of <laughs> romance novels. They love it. And they like hammer through it. These are the people on Goodreads who are like, I read 300 books this year. These are the people that we're talking about. Okay. These are, I don't know.
1: (laughs) That is wild.
2: Yeah. So I don't know. I got into it like through a friend essentially. And she kind of shows me the ropes and I learn a lot from her and here we are.
1: Yeah, that's great. And so you said that you, in your not, uh, pen name life because you write under the pen name Casey Fox. That's like me. I have a series of Christian children's books under the name Renee Melosh Taft. I think it's actually Renee Taft (laughs) Malosh. Oh
0: my God.
1: It just makes me really sad that that's a thing, like that that's who I would have to compete with under my own name. So I'm going to have to like come up with something better, I guess, to write under. So how does writing the steamy romance differ and kind of what's the appeal for you does it switch tracks in your brain when you write the steamy romance
2: yeah it's a it's a totally different thing um like I'm just kind of comparing right now I'm I'm working on something in my YA life as well as working on my Casey Fox writing and uh the two are very very different and I'm not like it's like a code switching thing I don't know what it is for sure but like (laughs) I guess it's just a different audience in mind too. Like you imagine somebody who's going to sit down and read your book quick on a Kindle is a very different audience member than somebody who's going to buy your book in hardcover and like get it signed. And it's a totally different kind of audience for sure too. So
1: yeah, ideally stand in line dressed as one of the characters from the series. Oh my gosh, that's the dream, right? That, that is a dream. dream. <laughs>
0: Based on, so you t- you were talking about the uh, having people like fans like lining up dressed as the characters of your books. Having done the research that I have done on you and what you write, <laughs> I can only imagine <laughs> the costumes that these people show up in and the intricate development of these physical beings. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to see this.
2: <laughs> honestly, honestly, that would be incredible. That would be the most amazing thing because I have created characters that are... Uh, Some human characters, but characters that are very much not human. Uh, The steamy romance that I write is science fiction steamy romance and paranormal steamy romance. So, yeah, we're talking
1: vampire, werewolf, demon, alien, all of it.
0: Into it. Very into (laughs) it.
1: I love it. Okay, so maybe talk to us a little bit about your first book, Blood, Lust, and Liberty. What was it like writing that book and kind of conceiving of the characters, so to speak?
2: I don't know, man. Vampires. like, They went away for a while, but did they ever really go away?
0: (laughs) No, because they're vampires. Exactly. They're
2: undead, Casey. <laughs> they are immortal. It's true. So I think that exploring that is really fun. And I don't really even know where this idea came from. Oh, actually, I lied. I sort of do know where this idea came from. My spouse and I were watching some classic vampire shows on ye old Netflix. And so that sort of seeped into my subconscious, Actually, along with a quote from the current president of the United States of America about coronavirus and the probability of bringing light inside the body. And that actually developed into the non romantic plot in Bloodlust and Liberty. So, what we have going on in Bloodlust and Liberty is warring vampire factions and also a werewolf faction. And the werewolf faction is attempting to create a weapon that can bring down the vampires. And so they bring the light inside the body with technology. And my main character in Bloodlust and Liberty is the president of a sex toy company.
1: I love that so
2: much. It keeps things
1: spicy. Spicy or steamy? Is spicy a subgenre of steamy romance? <laughs>
2: you know, it really depends who you're asking. But <laughs> yes, we go from sweet romance all the way to sizzling, steamy, spicy romance. Okay. And there's something for everyone.
1: There's like a Scoville scale of of sex and spiciness.
2: <laughs> yes, essentially there is. It's not. I don't know if it's written down anywhere. If it isn't, I should write it down somewhere. But... Yes.
0: What about writing romance for you? Obviously, you love it. You must love it because you do it, especially with the feedback you've gotten. I was reading some of the reviews that you had on Amazon, and they love what you're what you're putting out.
2: <laughs> for me, this is an incredible fun explorative thing and to get that feedback that hey this book was like really good and like I read this book with my husband and afterwards it was like, mm. <laughs> like <laughs> that kind of feedback is great if I can help couples like get it on that's amazing yeah. So
0: <laughs> you're giving back to the community
2: I am I am it's wonderful I enjoy it I think sex is really important part of the human experience wherever you fall on the spectrum of sexuality I think that no matter where you are there it's a really important part of being human and exploring that and having fun with that and really like stretching those boundaries I just think that's really interesting and fun as a woman who falls on the queer spectrum myself I think it's really important to see that representation because especially in this specific genre of steamy romance, it's very common to see the heteronormativity really shining through. And so for me to take those sort of heteronormative tropes and flip them upside down and really mess with them, it like if you get into the end of Blood, Lust, and Liberty, they're talking about like a polygamous relationship and polyamory. And to just really explore the fullness of human sexuality, in, I guess, romance and in fantasy and in literature, I think, is just
1: really fun and interesting. It's like a whole enveloping experience. And not only that, but it helps to normalize things, I think, as well. I grew up, (laughs) I'm gonna, like, unfold my creaky Catholic soapbox right now. (laughs) I grew up in a very, like, repressive, like, sexually repressive home, and I wasn't explained anything, and so... I internalized a lot of homophobia and then also externalized it by... Same, same. Yes, there (laughs) you go. So some of my earliest memories of my young sexual awakenings or times when I kind of went, oh, I'd be interested to learn more about that, were from (laughs) books that thankfully, my parents were not pre-screening for me because they didn't like to read the stuff that I liked to read. so they were like, "This is fine, this looks fine, it's fine." And then I would read stuff, and I it would really challenge my perception of, as you said, kind of like the heteronormative things that you see represented in most media. So I but like cisgender and heteronormative and all of that, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. I'm like, I should take notes? What books were you reading? <laughs> that was so formative for you.
1: <laughs> no, seriously, nothing scandalous. That's how, like, uh, I don't even, like, celibate ascetic. my childhood upbringing was. It was like a character would get into bed with another character, and I would be like, what are they doing in there? Are they telling each other their dreams? <laughs>
2: like... We want to see ourselves reflected in the media that we consume and the stories that we read. and This is my own like personal belief. I really think that most people are not as straight as they think they are. And if Mm -hmm. I can help with that kind of awakening, I love your little like, okay, symbol. Yes, yes, yes. If I can help with that little awakening, so be it. I love it.
0: That is a real thing. The amount of dudes that, you know, I'm fucking straight, I'm this and that. And then with the slightest opportunity, Mm -hmm. suddenly all of this like performative masculinity is like, Yes. Still kind of there, but you know they're they're more open to trying things. I'm <laughs> like, just own it. Like, who the fuck cares?
2: Okay. And what's really interesting is when you take paranormal romance and sci-fi romance through that lens of exploration, it. It's sort of like, and I don't want to say dehumanizes, but it dehumanizes it a little bit and takes that experience and like makes it a little bit separate from yourself in a way that makes it more easy to explore, I think. And so when people are like, they can observe this happening without it being about them. I don't know if I'm making myself clear. No, you are.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a lens like you're one step removed from it, so you don't identify with it as closely. And because human beings are very personal and we're very sensitive and we go, I'm not like that. I don't do this. It's not me. It helps us to, I think, conceptualize things a lot easier if we can see things at a remove. And we go, oh, that actually does make sense. Oh, I never thought of it that way. And maybe this does apply to me in some way. Like Gio was just talking about performative masculinity. And I mean, that's a whole subject in itself of like, when you get into how truly... I just want to call it stupid, Stupid. the gender binary is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just dumb as fuck. We give all of these arbitrary assignations and then we're like, this means you have this genital and this (laughs) means you have this genital. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it's like, what even is that? Right. So then when you start to look outside the binary or you start to challenge it, it can be really uncomfortable if you're so closely identified to it that you're like, well, who am I without this? Who am I without my muscle shirts? What do I do? Especially <laughs> poignant as Gio is wearing a muscle shirt. I right think now. I am too, but mine has like a bell hooks quote on it that says feminism <laughs> is for everyone. Uh, oh.
0: Mine, mine just has a big C on it. Appropriate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think there's so much value to what you're saying, Casey, and that also extends to the genre of speculative fiction. I think so much historically has been used to confront certain ideas that are taken as like normative in society. And that especially is like, I want to say cisgender uh, norms, heteronormativity, and also white supremacy. Thank you. (laughs) Not an episode if I don't pull out my soapbox and talk about racism. (laughs) No, it's really interesting what you're saying, because I
2: see a lot of that happening in spec fic right now. I see a lot of movement and cracking open white supremacy and cracking open racism and seeing, exploring that through, again, that distancing lens that we're talking about and being able to go, well, this is a story. But then again, being able to relate that story back to your life. So I think there's a lot of really important work that's happening in spec fic, in genre fiction, with regards to sexuality and racism and white supremacy and all of these things that you're talking about. So I think it's really cool to be at the forefront of that. And when you talk about like performative masculinity, we see a lot of that in romance. We see a lot of that in romance. Like you only have to look at the cover of my alien book to know (laughs) that these people want to read about that. And so I'm sort of tricking them when they get into my book and realize that that guy who's on the front of the book isn't actually a man or a woman. So
1: (laughs) that's because it's just a corporal, corporeal blob of abs. It's just abs.
2: (laughs) Abs and tentacles, Renee. Abs and tentacles.
0: What an oxymoron. A blob of abs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, serious. (laughs) I love that so much. Um, I There's so many different directions I want to go on with this, but I think we should take a break.
0: And we're back.
1: <laughs> is that your like late night radio show host voice? Yeah, baby. <laughs> hey, but is it your steamy romance voice?
0: Oh, no, that's this. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) God,
2: I love it. But what we need to do is we need to have Gio say something like romance tropey, but in a sexy voice.
0: Take your pants off, baby.
2: (laughs) No. Do it actually. Do it actually. Go like, this is it, Renee. You're my mate.
0: Ew, I can't say it to Renee. (laughs) Uh, That's (laughs) fucked. That's so rude. It's It's like saying it to a sibling. I can't be sexual that way.
1: Gio, I'm sure that incest is a subgenre of <laughs> steamy romance. Oh, it is confirmed. <laughs> okay, talking yeah. about the more taboo genres, let's say, or subcategories of steamy romance, there is something called dubcon or dubious consent, which are kind of these fantasy scenarios where somebody's, I want to use the word coerce, but I don't know if that's the appropriate term. So today we're going to learn something new. Coerced
2: well, that's why it's dubious, right?
1: <laughs> okay, so take us through that and what it means.
2: I'm, like, fresh onto the DubCon train. I only recently learned that DubCon stands for dubious consent. So, basically what it is, let's use... Buzz <laughs> uh, my, my children, okay?
1: <laughs> the of that was so good, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, there's, like, a lot of kids in this house, so... <laughs> Essentially, let's use um, sci-fi romance as an example, because it's a very, very prime example. Like, I think that people find it not believable that it's usually a woman in an alien sort of setting would ever want to have sex with an alien. So they have invented this trope. It's usually like sex poison, for example, is what they call it. I know it sounds super corny, okay? So essentially how it works is the woman ends up poisoned. And the only way to like cure this sex poison is to have sex with an alien. Yeah, she wants to have sex with the alien. You're cracking up. I know, right? She wants to have sex with the alien, but it's because she has consumed the sex poison. Okay. So this is where we like dance the line of consent.
1: Your explanation included that the character, so we don't know that aliens even have an assigned gender. Because as I want to continue to point out, gender is just a construct, guys. You don't need to adhere to it at all. It's just made up. It's like whose line is it anyway, the point system. It's all made up and it doesn't matter. So it's interesting to me though, because we do live in a society that values our gender constructs and you're talking about a woman kind of being put in a situation where she has to choose to engage with this repressed side of her sexuality which i think is also a really common theme in broader literature and writing because women's sexual agency has always been something that's been reviled and kind of difficult to engage with and you know if you're a woman who's interested or invested in her own sexual pleasure you're a disgusting horish slut but if you're a prude like you're too tight you can't get wet like all of that fun stuff you're also reviled and mocked right so it's kind of this like third option where it's like well i didn't choose this but if i'm gonna get railed by an alien i'm gonna enjoy it thanks sex poison yes (laughs) that's really what it comes down to is like
2: if it is so difficult to believe that a woman would enjoy this sexual adventure that we need to poison her to make it believable
1: my god gender is wild isn't it guys Guys. But that's why i like to play with it guys. folks, folks. <laughs> i really don't like folks i don't know why it's not my favorite maybe i should just call people i don't know i've seen some funny ones like demons <laughs> that's gender neutral <laughs> Yes.
2: So yeah, I don't know. We get a lot of playing with these tropes of dubious consent um, in your sort of like werewolf shapeshifter world. We talk about fated mates and we are meant to be. And so the, the urges between us are so uncontrollable that we just can't help ourselves because there would be no other situation under which this woman would want to have sex with a werewolf. Whenever you dance on the edge of consent, you dance on the edge of sexual assault. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what you're getting to when you talk about trigger warnings and things like that. For me, I'm a survivor of sexual assault and so to write these experiences, I actually find it incredibly healing to do so because it is a situation in which I am in control of what is happening to this character. And so again, it's that like exploring what is going on in my brain through this lens and with a little bit of distance in mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's always a choice and it's so different for every single person how they want to move through their lived experiences and trauma, right? Like I am definitely sensitive to like seeing female bodies being violated, like any female bodies or female coded bodies in situations where they're being violated is upsetting for me to watch, especially if it's like I can watch up until an assault is happening, but as soon as the assault is happening, I'm like, nope, I like just will quit it hard, just cold like I can't watch it it's it's very it's just from the repetition because that's a pattern we see in media, right is that sure. female bodies are often removed of their liberty, even more so if they're not white female bodies um, and often degraded and it's just I'm tired of a lot of like weariness around it, right? For some people, it can be, as you said, almost like restorative or like reclaimative. when you're like, I get to control this narrative and I get to decide where it goes and I get to ascribe a different ending to it or you even get to project yourself into the fantasy and go, this is how I want things to go and this is how things would have gone if it had been up to me. And I get to write,
2: especially women-coded bodies- who are choosing to give up control in a situation where they are trusting that person. So they explore that loss of control with somebody that they trust, and they see that losing control or not being in charge can be enjoyable if it is with
1: somebody that you trust. Enthusiastic, ongoing, clear consent, guys. It's the three things you need to get physical. (laughs) That's my infomercial for Olivia Newton-John's album, out now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was really heavy, but thank you for taking us through that, Casey. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important for us to to talk about this stuff too. And again, in the interest of normalizing it, opening it up, and sort of creating these communities based on shared experience, even if it's like shitty trauma experience, you know what I mean? Absolutely. (laughs) Casey tell us a little bit about what you've learned about independent publishing and self publishing like share your secrets for your high volume writing to me
2: so with indie pubbing you do everything yourself I mean, you can hire it out, but that costs dollars and that's the bottom line. Originally I was hiring out my covers. I hired an artist on Fiverr who does nothing but make ebook covers and she was great, and she was incredible. She did my paranormal covers, so Bloodlust and Liberty, and the second book coming out mid-September, Daylight, Desire, and Demons. So she does my paranormal covers, but I made the sci-fi covers myself using a program called Canva, so that was fun. Uh, You do need to have like a... Just a, like an inkling of graphic design knowledge, but not much. It's pretty user friendly.
1: Geo's like visibly I'm, aging.
0: Anytime I hear somebody using Canva, I'm like, oh no.
1: <laughs> there are worse programs, okay? Can
0: I know, you, I know. I'm you just see kidding.
2: <laughs> but you've seen the cover. It's not bad considering the fact.
0: I honestly would never know you made it on Canva.
2: Oh, well, there we go. Okay. Yeah, so truthfully. that was. A- steep learning curve and pretty fun, you do need to know a little bit about like what people expect when they're looking for your covers. So Mm -hmm. really the formatting for what's inside the book is what's getting really tricky. So the most commonly used program for that is a program called Vellum. Now I run a Windows computer and Vellum is only available for Mac. So I was like, do I hire somebody to do this for me? Like what do we do? So no, I run like a fake Mac desktop on my (laughs) windows desktop (laughs) Uh. and use to use vellum to turn my word document into a book but it's super super user-friendly vellum is um it makes all your chapters for you it makes it beautiful does all your layouts and your like ornamental page breaks and all of those kinds of things vellum does all that for you and it is the program that speaks most easily to amazon so you can do it in scrivener and you can do it in word but there's no guarantee that your end product is going to be readable even. So things like tab indenting and things like if you accidentally put like a space at the end of your paragraph that can screw up the entire formatting of your book. It's really finicky to learn and to figure those things out and like expensive to get into and then like I'm learning how to make a newsletter and how to grow a newsletter mailing list and so there's a whole lot of skill sets involved in indie publishing.
0: That's one of the things that we talk about a lot with A, amongst me and Renee, just the two of us, but with the people that we've already interviewed in the past, I don't know if it's autonomous is the right word, but where you're doing everything. Most of the people we've spoken to are not at a point where they're a full agency or they're like a corporation that is needing a team. And so we're always having to learn so many different things. You wear many hats, you know, and each hat, it requires a specific type of energy and totally. a specific type of focus, and sometimes you just you just don't have it, or you just don't have it that day. But you everything that you're accumulating is, I believe, the things. Even though you're like, hey, this isn't something I'm going to do down the road once I get to a point where I can pay someone to do it. But you understand it, and you're able to say, okay, in two three years, when you're hiring a designer to actually do your books, like, and it's you know, it's not on vellum, then yeah. you you'll be able to be involved in it in a way that is, I think it's a good thing, even though we're taxed (laughs) as like these independents.
1: The skill sets that you pick up gives you the language to talk to other creatives. We've also talked on the podcast about the myth of the overnight success Mm. and this idea that you're going to somehow hit it big or you're going to not even hit the jackpot necessarily or become crazy famous John Grisham Level <laughs> white, straight dude crime mystery novel level selling just by going viral or having some kind of really cool and trendy product that gets discovered or stumbled upon. Like, this is work that requires investment and requires that long term grind. And one of the things I've heard over and over and over again is that mailing list. Because I think especially within our generation and kind of the millennial and Gen Z, we're moving more toward, okay, we have these content creators who are on different social media apps, but those don't represent a proportionate demographic of your audience. And I
2: guess it too, like when we talk about a mailing list, that mailing list goes directly to somebody's inbox without an algorithm. There's no fighting for that airspace and there's no fighting to get in front of somebody's thumb when they're scrolling. They're choosing. They're choosing you when they choose to sign up for your email list. So if they don't want to miss your content, that's the way to not miss that content.
1: And it engenders that kind of connection and loyalty and not to sound weird and cultish about it because it is really a connection point more so that I'm like that I'm trying to explain here or trying to describe like you're talking about people reading your work and giving you reviews. It's not like you're like, yes, I had these adulations, like keep them coming. Like you Whoa. actually, <laughs> you actually, it was your super villain origin story all along. <laughs> um, but you're connecting with these people who leave you reviews, and it's it's an exchange, you know.
2: They enjoy your content, and then they let you know, and then there's value to others in that interchange as well. So it is, in a sense, community building, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and it has an impact on the way that you write, because I've received feedback that I've solicited on my writing from people who've been kind enough to read it, and it does have an impact on the way I think about building storylines, the way I think about incorporating characters, diversity trying to bring in different viewpoints and stuff like that all of that stuff is reader driven
2: yeah and then you talk about like writing your content for that ideal reader and who is that ideal reader and what like what image of them do you have in your mind when you're writing and as that changes so does your work
1: yeah absolutely
2: so i mean when i'm writing those ten thousand words a day (laughs) (laughs) tell me
1: your secrets
2: when I first started writing, I remember the very first day that I sat down and said I was going to write, I wrote 600 words. And I was like, I am a god. I am unbeatable. (laughs) I felt like I felt so pumped and so excited about my like 600 words, which for our listeners is, you know, a page ish. So (laughs) it's not a lot. And then I remember getting to a point where I was like, wow, like I'm consistently writing like 12 to 1500 words a day. Like that's, you're building that habit and you're getting into that flow and getting stronger, building muscle. And it's the same thing as building muscle. And so then I get to the point where I was like, wow, like I hit my first 5000 word day. And you do just creatively grow and your ability to sit with your butt in the chair and write for a certain amount of time does continue to grow if you build the habit. And so I think for people who work, so I don't work. (laughs) I don't work a job outside of writing. I'm a mom and I write. And so for me, this is my job. But for people who have a career outside of writing, it's very, very difficult to build that habit unless you do it with like thoughtfulness and consciousness and so yes you can absolutely write a novel in a year at writing 200 words a day if you sit down and commit and write those 200 words every day so for me self-publishing they want you to put out a novel a month and you just like you work up to that. damn daniel <laughs> damn daniel <laughs> And granted, the sci-fi stuff is shorter. The sci-fi stuff is in the 30 to 35,000 word range. For the listeners, that's like 75 pages on word kind of thing. So they're shorter little snacks, sexy little snacks. And yeah, you can write one in a month and it's it's not as taxing, but it is. It's just a muscle that you work and work and work until you get it. 10,000 words a day is not maintainable for me at this point. That was like my best ever day. My really good days are like 7,000 words. And I haven't written anything in four or five days now. Like I've been doing other things. I've been doing graphics and I've been doing social media and I've been doing newsletter stuff. And so I don't know. It's just breaking it up into that time and making sure that you make the time for it.
1: I am very sad to hear that there's no magical eight thousand no. words a day potion.
2: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I other have skills. A, a <laughs> I
0: potion think... or a poison? Yes,
2: right. Poison. <laughs> I think the 10,000 words a day poison.
0: <laughs> is it?
1: <laughs> I've yes. done what I was going to say next. Doesn't matter because that was the best. <laughs> so- <laughs> okay, so talk about your alien sex snack books. Okay, so the first one in the series is called
2: Stranded with the Star God. Imagine Guardians of the Galaxy 2,
1: but sexy. That's exactly where my mind went to. I was like, I feel like there is oh, it must be because Peter Quill's name is Star God, right?
2: Star Lord, yes. Oh, Star
1: Lord. Oh, that's right. But his dad is a god who's also an alien.
2: Who's also a planet. Wink.
1: Right. Because they <laughs> I don't know what happened, but they really tore apart the comic canon for that one. Yes,
2: very much so. Um the essential plot line here is that your main character, Jess is the chief mechanic on the USS Ride May uh, named after some of the first women in space. FYI. So she is the chief mechanic on this all-women starship and their basic job is to, well their first job was to be like go prove there's life out there and then they did it like pretty much immediately. So then their new job was to go like become a part of like the intergalactic canon, essentially. Uh, So they've been out in space for, you know, almost two years and they receive this distress call. And that's where our story begins and Jess ends up stranded on an alien planet all by herself. Or so she thinks.
1: So when are those coming out? Tell us a little bit about where people can...
2: I guess uh, some of the issues with indie pubbing is that you got to there's a really steep learning curve. So uh, I meant to put them up for pre-order August 25th but I clicked the wrong date and because I'm a fool and they're available for pre-order now so (laughs) (laughs) hooray
1: what a happy accident
2: well it was it was lucky I didn't do it in the other direction so actually they're available for pre-order right now their release date will be the first one release date is September 26th the following four books in the series are all available for pre-order. So you can pre-order the entire series and it will be delivered directly to your Kindle the instant it becomes available. Bloodlust and Liberty is available now and the second book in that series will be available September 10th.
0: I have a question. I have an answer. Tell me about tentacles.
2: <laughs> what would you like to know about tentacles? I Where did the, the room
0: yeah this is (laughs) now we're on a date
2: (laughs) it's very romantic steamy
1: no all three of us are on a date is what he means I'm just being roped into
0: it hey maybe that's part of the kink right your ropes hey (laughs) I'm
2: pretty sure that I at one point described the tentacles as rope-like so
0: I've heard of this I don't know if you want to call it a phenomena why tentacles in this particular story
2: uh (laughs) this is a great question i don't know because that's how i envisioned my alien to be and then as i began to sort of imagine what that was like it was really interesting to think about like what kind of things can a tentacle do that a finger or a tongue or a penis or whatever cannot do right um and in what ways are we going to get really kind of depraved and explore that and
0: (laughs) So what kind of research did you do? Like, and like, this is like a legit, I'm being legit. I'm not being like a jokey. Like I actually. Nope. I, like, and that's
2: do. fair. That's totally fair. Um,
1: I did watch octopus videos. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, like that's why I'm asking because like, it's a thing. It's a real it's thing. Anything. So I want to know.
1: You're talking about, I just want to like contextualize this right, for right, people right. who don't know. So there's a thing in Japanese culture called, okay, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try. It's shokushu. Gukan, which is tentacle erotica, mm-hmm. and it is an actual historical, I'm going to call it art because that's really what it is. There are pictures, there are like woodblock paintings, there's manga of it, there's like anime, it's a thing. Okay, so my historical understanding of tentacle porn, I, I can't
2: remember if it's World War One or if it's World War Two, and it has to do with repression again. So showing images of a male phallus was highly frowned upon and this like sort of tentacle envisioning of that was a way around that taboo mm. so you know like this tentacle vision was less taboo than the human male phallus
1: yeah and that's because of the judeo-christian almost like calvinist mores that were imported by the americans who occupied japan right in world war ii
2: so here we are, like, talking
1: about the history of tentacle porn,
2: but this yes. This is important. It, it is a thing, right? Yes. So,
1: <laughs> the um, woodblocks, I just want to point out, though, that the woodblocks and the erotica, so the depictions of women having sex with octopi, they, those predate the the censorship and, and World War II. Okay. So they were always, like, an integral part of the history and the culture. I want to learn more about it, though. I know there's a really good book about the, like, cultural response to World War II, um, and the American occupation in Japan, and sort of that cultural exchange, if you want to call it that, and what that how that affected Japanese sexuality and representations of japanese sexuality and i cannot 't remember what the name of the book is, but I know it 's on my list to read Don't That's look a good up. point i 'm glad that you brought it up It is a
2: whole thing, which is fascinating, like I sort of got into writing these stories just as sort of fun and release, and like it was cool and here we are talking about sort of the like sociological implications of tentacles, but yes, I did watch videos. Octopi are, like, fascinating. They are super intelligent, Mm -hmm. and they move in ways that are just, like, super, super wild, and Mm -hmm. to kind of incorporate that into some of my descriptions was just, like, a really fun, creative challenge, because those tentacles, like they can get long and thin, they can get short and fat, they can curl up around, and they got little suckers that move on them. And I just think the potential there is fascinating. So <laughs> this
1: this isn't strictly adhering to what we know about octopus physiology. You're taking some liberties here. Of course, and it's the
2: other speculative. Thing that, it's speculative, and the other thing that comes along with tentacles is slime. So I love that face. Okay, so what one of my, like, beta readers was like, you have to come up with another word for it. Like, call it, like, a balm or something. And I was like, no, it's supposed to be weird and gross. It's slime, okay? Balm? Balm?
0: This isn't bath and body works. Like, what the fuck?
2: and i said i'm sorry the slime stays okay so so the slime is nutritive and lubricative and it smells like cucumbers and melons because i wanted it to so
1: girl this is bath and body works
2: <laughs> are you ready for your cucumber melon tentacle enema <laughs> oh my
0: god that sounds nice actually that'd be good for like before a date <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I had a ton of fun exploring this and I just think it's a really fun read. I like to employ a lot of like humor in between my alien and my human. They have a really cool relationship in that he is fascinated by her like human physiology. And so he at first like very technical with her and like talking about her needs for eating and sleeping and her circadian rhythms and as they get to know each other a little better they They get to bantering and I love writing banter. That's my favorite.
1: That's like a hallmark of YA authors, I think. Well, yeah, that might be fair. (laughs) (laughs) They love their banter. It's true.
0: It's part of the process though, talking about like real life interactions. We skip banter. We overlook that as part of that like buildup. And for me, that is a powerful thing. Seduction that is very real. Whereas if, if you're looking at like, erotica or you know not erotica it's overlooked it's like just straight to the action like let's get right to it and it's like wh- where's the where is it where come on like work for it a little bit you it's know
1: this sexy tension that's a yeah. real thing do you know what the most powerful sexual organ of the human body is
0: the mind the mind <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, exactly
1: yeah. right so if you're not <laughs> revved up up here how do you get revved up elsewhere i don't, I don't even want to say down there because uh, we're not king shaming in this house it's wherever Whoa. I think your characters have to have that tension and that interplay.
2: But I also think they got to bang real soon. Sorry, I'm not a slow burn lover.
1: <laughs> they bang uh, once, they can bang again sooner. Yeah.
0: <laughs> as a gay man, well, as me being the gay man that I am, I second that. <laughs> it's like, I don't like the, like, let's wait a fucking three months, you know? <laughs> no.
2: And it goes back to what we talked about at the start like sex sex is part of the human experience and let's explore that's all this is that's all this has ever been so for me writing these is just a fun exploration of sexuality and we can talk about the deeper sort of psychosocial meanings of all of that and it's there but it is also just really really fun
0: in the words of aretha
2: jump 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 to it I'm that meme with the guy who's like, "Now kiss." <laughs> <laughs> have characters who like to have sex. So, oh like, yes, so like my paranormal. We've got women who they want to get laid and they like it because that's real.
0: The timing of this conversation is. This is maybe a, a shitty reference, but the whole the, the WAP song <laughs> and the whole like it's female empowerment and then there's the other side of it where people are fucking like "Eh, it's gross and i'm like it's not even looked at when a dude will talk about his fucking dick in a song but then as soon as a girl does it it's like the end of the fucking world it's like who gives a shit if she wants to talk about her wet ass pussy like let her talk about it you know i don't know i just how many
2: songs have we listened to about some guy's
1: hard dick you know, I, sorry I gotta unfold my soapbox though really really quick yeah. it's because it's black women's bodies let black women live for Christ's sakes like <laughs> honestly
0: yeah
1: let's just let them live like for the love of God and stop shaming them because we're exploiting black women's sexuality and then we get mad when they take it back
2: no, I, that's true I freaking love that song the first time I heard it I was like
1: is this real it's so incredible have you seen the music video it is yes. great well I shouldn't say crazy because I know that it's considered ableist but that is like truly wild it it's is wild, wild. Yes. it's wild AF it's like a I, fever dream
2: yes I pulled up the lyrics I was like this cannot be real macaroni in a pot yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up this song Gia
2: We've been hearing songs about
1: hard dicks forever, and
2: now we've got a song about a wet pussy, and the world goes nuts. It's
0: it's awesome. so stupid. It it's so tough. stupid. Like, who gives a shit? Like, when I was a young uh, young kid, and the song um, "How Many Licks" by Lil Kim came out. <laughs> oh, that was my, that still to this day is my anthem. Like, <laughs> like
2: <laughs> yeah. So maybe I can take some of those songs and use them as my inspiration for future books.
0: I always gravitated towards that like strong female entity like even as a like young gay man like i was just like oh my god like i love like women who like when stripped was a thing with christina, mm. christina Aguilera, like when and she was like oh she's a slut she's whorish now i'm like i fucking love this like i want this in my life because <laughs> yeah. it was just so i love that she was just owning it you know
2: no we got it we got to let women be big and bold and out mm. there and sexual and like And for me, writing these characters, that's what this is about. Yes, Mm -hmm. claim your sexuality. Yes, sex feels good. Go ahead and let it feel good.
0: Absolutely. I'm all for it.
2: I also think it's important to normalize when women cannot lubricate properly. So in my second paranormal book, we talk about having sex a little bit before we are maybe quite ready and what that is like and why that's... I like to talk about like lots of things that specifically to women are weird and gross and whatever. So I talk about my characters getting their period. And I talk about like all of the like pregnancy and like, what do we think about contraceptives? And I touch on all of those things in my work because I think it's really important to normalize that stuff.
0: But that's real shit. The fact that I, I don't understand why these topics, I, they're taboo. Like I understand the like bigger picture of like why it's been suppressed and you know, but it's annoying to me i'm like it's a function like get over it you know what i mean like when if you, it's still to this day when there's a conversation and like a period will come up and like a straight guy will be like i'm like you put your dick in there bitch like shut the fuck up you know what i mean like i just it makes me so annoyed that it's like gross to them i'm like i you can't pick and choose what you think is like good from women preach preach right (laughs)
2: What I am interested in, then, is exploring women's bodies through aliens who don't understand humans at all, because we can present physiology as normal to somebody right. who has never experienced it from a human point of view.
0: I'm going to read your books now. Hey! <laughs> and I, I'm not a big reader. That's the thing. I'm not a big reader.
2: <laughs> well, that's perfect, then, because these are, like I said, a short little snack.
0: Thank you, Casey, for okay. <laughs> <laughs> we We lost Renee, but...
2: Been absolutely lovely. I love no, talking about sex and aliens and all of that weird shit.
0: I honestly, it's at the beginning. I was like, I'd never heard of you before, and so coming into this, it was like, okay, erotic <laughs> literature is not necessarily something that I've ever like delved into, yeah. and so to speak to you and to like hear somebody who's like passionate about this. I very much enjoyed myself this evening.
2: <laughs> I'm so glad you had me on. I wasn't sure if we were going to have enough to talk about, but I think we could probably do this all night. So
0: <laughs> are you kidding? Like even I'm like, Oh, do we have to end this? Like we still have, you know what I mean? Like, Let's keep going. I want to, I want to hear more about what you're doing, but I, we should have an update like down the road. We'll be like, okay, where are you at? What have you written? You know, how have, have things developed? Cause I, I, I would be interested to know.
2: I would love to come on again. That would be super.
0: And Renee feels the same. I, I she can't speak right now, but say something Renee. Can't hear nothing. anything. But thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you.
2: Yeah, likewise. It's been a blast.
0: Oh, where can people find you?
2: You can find me on my website at www.caseyfoxbooks.com. You can sign up for my newsletter there. You can find me on Instagram. I am Casey Fox Books. You can find me on Twitter at Books Casey. But the best way is to sign up for my newsletter. And I will leave you guys a link so you can do the sign up in a way that will get you my free short story and it will give you the short story and sign you up for the newsletter at the same time. So it's kind of a backstory of the paranormal books and you can learn a little bit more about those characters and their history.
0: Thanks Casey. <laughs> Honestly, it was very lovely talking to you.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me, Renee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys have a great night.
0: You too. Okay,
2: bye. <laughs>
1: fuck well that was really fun except for when i cut out
0: hey you know what the universe was
1: yeah doing what it needed to too do much. <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you had such a good time talking to her yeah oh yeah that was really great though i think that's yeah fun.
0: i love talking about tentacle dicks <laughs>
1: oh slime
0: i love it oh! honestly
1: I mean, it just makes me think of Nickelodeon. It's like yeah. a green-colored cornstarch slurry. <laughs> like, yeah, <that's> what...
0: <laughs> isn't it like were they like slime yeah. celebrities at like a worship? Yeah. War stuff?
1: Yeah. Oh my god, that's not food safe. Is it water soluble? That's what I want to know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely fuck up your sheets. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: oh my god. All right. So we just want to thank everybody for listening to me and me. And if you have any burning questions or you want to hear about my latest paranormal wet dream, all of my paranormal, no, I was going to say all of my dreams are paranormal, wet and dry. (laughs) (laughs) Geo, do you need some lubricant for your throat?
0: Ain't that a loaded question? (laughs) Oh
1: my God. Listen, our inboxes are open so please email us at listen to that's the number two me podcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us on social media
0: and if you like what you hear let us know by rating this podcast and subscribing
1: and as always music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com
0: bye good goodbye
1: <laughs>